Last month, Auckland Council approved Phil Goff's 5% rates hike, but there's a much worse sting in the tail for about 7,500 ratepayers who live in rural communities within Auckland. Those rural properties will now be deemed residential, which will see their rates bill going up by between 15 and 28% over the next few years. Auckland Council claims rural townships should pay the same or on the same basis as the city and the surrounding lifestyle blocks of those rural townships should be paying the equivalent of residential rates. One of the few councillors blowing the whistle on this particular issue is Auckland Councillor John Watson. He's called it, quote, a nonsense when it was being proposed. John, welcome to Taxpayer Talk. Hi, Jordan. Perhaps we could start off, take us through the implications of what the council has or was proposing and has now approved as part of Phil Goff's 10-year budget. Well, it's it's very significant increase for those uh, properties that you, you mentioned from uh, essentially from 16 to 30% uh, when you add on the 5%. So at this particular time, you know, when, when we're all struggling with the effects of COVID-19, this is a big, big jump um, in, in people's rates, which, which, is, which is bad enough, but it has been advanced on the basis that uh, these affected property owners, uh, a number of people who aren't particularly wealthy, it, it should be added, um, are receiving um, access to the, to the same level of services as their nearby urban neighbours, which is patently untrue. So double-edged here, not only is it a, a massive rates increase when a lot of people are doing it tough, it's being advanced on a, on, on a basis that just doesn't stack up whatever way you look at it. So I see it as you know little more than an unprincipled uh, money grab. What communities in particular are affected? Let's take, the, there'll be a lot of listeners here that, that won't be quite sure whether this impacts on them. I, from the base on the media reporting, your constituents are particularly badly impacted, but what communities are we talking about? Yeah, so there's a definite um, concentration in the northwest of, of Auckland, so basically places like Whanuapai, yep. Herald Island, Huapai, Kumu, there's there's about 6,000 properties out there and the, the balance uh, of the of the other 1,500 are kind of spread around other parts of Auckland in the south, but disproportionately uh, in the northwest and um, in particular around that, that um, Hobsonville, Whanuapai, Herald Island area. So... Yourself, Wayne Walker and um, Greg Sayers have been the councillors that have really been quite vocal about this. Who's driving this and why? Yeah, good, good, good question. Well, um, I guess in the first instance, there's, there's, you know, there's almost a, a desperation to, to find other sources of revenue, rates or otherwise. Um, and you know, someone stumbled on the notion that there's these people that that enjoy, if enjoy is the right word to say, um, a slight rates reduction. So those people that are 
classified as rural residential. Where are these, where are these people? I never get emails from people saying <laughs> well, my rates have gone down. I've been doing this for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the, the, because they ha- basically because they have a deficit in council services, historically they've paid 90% of the urban rate, okay? And that, that's on the basis that, you know, their, their roads are inferior, they don't have... They don't have uh, footpaths often. I mean, a lot of these rural... I mean, you, you see kids walking to school... Um, uh, uh, um, turn left at Silverdale instead of right, and there's a whole growing communities out there that that have no services. Yes, so so they they have no footpaths in many instances. They have open ditches in swales. Um, uh, that's their stormwater infrastructure. When it rains in the winter, they have sewage seeping onto their berms. Um, they don't have any curb and channeling. Um, their main roads, you know, the main roads that actually um, access their, their, their townships um, have no footpaths, no stormwater infrastructure, no ability to cycle, walk or anything else. Um, so so the, the deficit is really significant. So as much as they, you know, they pay 90% of the, the urban rate, the actual deficit is a lot more than 10%. But what what goes with that, Jordan, and this is important to note, is that there's no programs of works to address these deficits. So it's not as if it's being advanced on the basis, well, the council's going to come along and do a whole lot of works to bring you up to the urban standard. No, there's no plans for the next 10 years and beyond to address any of this. So not only are the people now going to be paying rates for services they don't have, they're going to be paying those rates in the future for services that are never going to eventuate for one, two, three decades. Who knows how long? And so come back to my question, who's driving this or who really drove this within council? And if, if what you're saying is correct, that there's just no justification to, you know, for the, to be paying the same or it's uncoupled to the services being received, is it just a revenue grab? It, it definitely is a revenue grab, um, but I guess if we're, you know, it's it's being driven by uh, the bureaucrats, and it came out in the mayoral budget, so you know, it's it's part of the mayoral proposal. So um, uh, we, we and the mayor and the other councillors get to vote on it. So as much as the bureaucrats might put it up and, and attempt to justify it, and I emphasise the word attempt because because it wasn't much of a, an effort. Um, it is ultimately the politicians who, who sign it off. And in this instance, there was overwhelming evidence produced by the local residents, their ratepayers association, their councillors, their local board to show, look, this proposal just doesn't apply to these areas. It's unfair. These people have council deficits across a whole range of services. Um, therefore, they should be excluded. So they, they voted as it turned out on the day, without contesting any of the evidence that was put up. So it wasn't as if they were putting up some, you know, um, effective rebuttal to, to what the, the the residents had said. They didn't even bother doing that. They just all stuck up their hand like sheep to vote through these 16 to 30% increase for these um, these communities that are affected and are now mm-hmm. going to have to try and, and pay these uh, exorbitant rate increase. I want to get, get get a little bit of a better understanding. I mean, 
John, you're probably one of the few what we'd call independent-minded councillors uh, around uh, the chamber. I mean, I think that it's fair to say that those on the right end of the spectrum um, would think you're a lefty, and those on the left end of the spectrum, which unfortunately is most of Auckland Council, are a bit suspicious suspicious of you. Do, do you think that the that the, the, we had a look back at your voting record and your you've signed our pledge back in the ratepayer pledge back in 2016? You've largely stood to that, although not always. Do you yeah. think that it is slightly strange that going through the papers on this particular issue? that the councillor, at least behind it, seemed to be the leader of the citizens and residents group, CNR, Desley Simpson. Is it somewhat strange that the sort of, the even the right within Auckland Council no longer sort of champion messages like the ones you've been running for your local community? Well, well, personally, I find it a little ironic. Uh, yes, in this instance, the chair of the Finance and Performance Committee um, was an individual uh, who, uh, by all accounts, uh, went out to the affected areas and uh, signalled, at least to the Ratepayers Association, uh, individuals who turn up to show around that, you know, that an exclusion was, was possible here. But when it came to the day of the actual vote, that um, that um, sympathy to the local cause, if I can put it that way, seemed to to fade pretty quickly. Um, and in fact, we we had from that same person the almost comical uh, comparison of Finuapai and Herald Island to Paratai Drive of all this places. Is, this is Desley Simpson. Yes, Councillor Simpson. Yeah, where 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 we are led to believe that. You know the poor, uh, impoverished um, individuals in Paratai Drive have to um, put up with uh, only having a footpath on one side of the road. I, I think that might be largely due to the fact that the other side of the road is uh, clifftop, uh, panoramic views over the Waitemata Harbour. But that that was that type of um, indifference to the plight of you know Aucklanders and in quite significant numbers that that I find quite disturbing I mean I I don't mind if a reasonable case is put up and there's a justification to it but in this instance uh, there is absolutely no justification to the proposal they put out okay so they were very specific in the wording they put out that these uh, affected communities had access to similar levels of services as as nearby properties. They don't across everything. They were presented with comprehensive proof that it didn't apply, yet these people, including the chair of this committee, voted to disregard that. Uh, I find that behaviour unconscionable. The this sort of ties back into sort of the. I mean, we've had the super city now for ten years. One of the observations the royal commission made prior to the establishment of the the super city was that we shouldn't have constituency based seats or representation around the council because we would end up with the same problem we had with the old system where councils or councillors would just look after their own patch to give Desley Simpson the benefit of the doubt, you could argue that maybe she's trying to offload costs onto communities other than the Iraqi um, uh, constituency she represents. 
I mean, ten years on into the super city, you've you've got a you're very experienced in local government. I think you were, you were on the old Rodney Council, weren't you? Or yes, yeah, for one. Yeah, yeah. Um, really interested. While we've got you, what are your if if, if the government came and saw you, or Nanaya Mahuta called you aside and said, "We need to fix the super city." Um, is there anything, any changes you'd make to the legislation or the um, or the structure, so that I don't know, we get a better functioning council or a better value for money? That, that, that's a good question, Jordan. Because as much as I've been highlighting, um, you know, a, a deficit in democracy that has been exemplified by this um, by this issue, um, the, 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 there's there's actually a, a wider um, issue at play here and and it, and it goes to to what we have a, in effect a, a de facto kind of block voting in in this council so as much as well on party lines or well it's it's uh, well you know it, it's a kind of unholy alliance you know i mean it won't come as any surprise to you that you know there is it's a labor city vision type block that that essentially um you know, controls the, the the political wing anyway, with with a, a number of other um, with councillors and, and friends who, who are essentially part of that. Now that mm. that's all advanced on you know on the basis that you know we all come together together for the greater good. But in reality, what what instances like this show that it's just as every bit as bad as uh, those councils that may have existed in the past, where you know you had one political party controlled it and just rammed everything through we, 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 we've got a version of that now I mean they might pretend that otherwise but but that's it's not the case so and, and it, in fact it's made worse by the structure because in this structure the mayor has a disproportionate influence so what's probably not realized by by Aucklanders is is the significant uh, powers the mayor has to to drive, and this is irrespective of individual, you know, I might mm. add, just in the structure, drive budgets, drive appointments of committees, um, influence the bureaucracy. Um, it, it's it's really something you know more akin to a kind of presidential style structure. Now, with goodwill, with goodwill, um, and, and and you know some gifted mayor, you might be able to make this work where you have, you know, um, different agendas being driven or, or a, a kind of dismissal of large sections of Auckland, then you, you get all the worst features without, you know, the, bene the benefits of the benevolent dictator type of model. So what you're saying in effect is that we've, I mean, because Let's take a step back. I mean, that was the, the deliberate choice by Parliament, I think supported by most Aucklanders, that we needed, we didn't mind having a stronger mayoral office or a, um, a Lord Mayor type structure. Do you feel as a councillor, you have the ability to provide the check and balance on that power and be able to access information and probe officials? No, I mean, and that's been shown through this whole budget process where there is actually no contestable advice that's really put up or presented you, you have the you have the view of the mayoral office and the bureaucracy that working essentially in tandem um, and it is very difficult for anyone who's of a different view or who genuinely wants to question things to, to actually be able to 
um, you know, present a coherent view. It's a, it's a very one-sided game in that respect. Um, I don't think that's 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 good. That's not healthy democratically. And and I think if you look at our performance uh, in terms of financial management over the decade, um, you know, we're essentially now we're at a state where we can't borrow anymore. So you know, it's gone from three point nine billion to ten point one billion in, in debt. So and we're over the two seventy percent debt to revenue ratio. So that's what are we that's up? about thirty thousand dollars a household. I think now. Yeah. So so. So the borrowing's almost done its bit. The the other component in fact you have to double water rates because not because water care have done anything wrong, but simply because they can't smooth smooth out capital investment like you'd normally be able to, says it all. Yeah, so I guess I'm just saying if if you look at a position the position we were in where, you know, that, that debt has increases increased astronomically um and, and you know, there's any number of reasons for that and and, and you know, one of which is massive escalation in prices of significant uh, infrastructure projects like the CRL for a start. We're now selling off assets at an unprecedented level, 450 million over the next couple of years. You know, that's that's uh, that's a, a significant level and, and income producing assets, which is a deter- the disturbing part of that. So once you've done that, uh, and they've largely done that, all um, that remains is year-on-year rate increases, and that's starting to kick in. So, I guess what I, you know, what I question is the sustainability of this model. I think it's it's almost and sure, COVID nineteen has had an effect, but this is was coming anyway. COVID nineteen has just expedited mm. um, what was already well in train. Okay, so let's. Uh, Let's wrap it up then, because this is a very negative approach. Or it's it's sorry, it's not a negative approach. It's depressing to to hear probably the suspicions of most Auckland ratepayers confirmed. How do we fix it? Or coming back to the question, if you were tasked with fixing Auckland Council, either from if you were to find yourself as mayor or find yourself as drafting the legislation in Wellington, what do you think the most important change or changes would be? to put us back on a um, sustainable path? Okay, I mean, it's probably the last thing people want to hear, but th- I-, I don't think the super city structure ha- has worked, and I, and I would wow. suspect okay. that, that the overwhelming number of Aucklanders w- would would uh, endorse that view. Do you um, think it's not change, it's actually scrapping it? Well, I, I think it's it, it probably is too difficult to scrap the whole thing and go back to square one. So, so I think... Some parts of it um, are right. So, for instance, I, I would retain uh, the CCO structure to the extent of retaining Auckland Transport to keep out that political interference, even though you know there's, there's obviously a case for greater scrutiny and direction there. But I would retain Auckland Transport, Watercare, and a version of, of Auckland Unlimited, as they know now, are known now as, as far as keeping up the you know, the upkeep of the, the council assets. So I'd retain a, that greatly reduced CCO structure, for which I think has the ability to work well and has produced some some good results. I you think at a regional level, like keep yes, that, at a regional yeah, level. Okay, so they're making the regional yeah. decisions. They make so the local again. Yeah, yeah. So and I think what has to happen, certainly in terms of that democratic deficit that's been you know exemplified by this issue, is that I think. You know the the kind of the the mayoral 
model with this massive um, big geographical catchment is just too big. So I, I personally would look to reduce that to, to maybe three um, councils that that would be served, the, you know, north of the bridge, um, central and west and, 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 and south and east, and, you know, would would take out the local boards, which are just, you know, largely being reduced to, to kind of a, a tick box con component, mm. despite having, you know, some some very capable people in their midst, uh, and, and reorganise that geographical split, which is big enough, Jordan, if you, if you look at uh, the, the world in terms of local government catchments, even at reducing it to, to, to three is bigger than, you know, most, most other oh, cities around the world. Our own analysis of councils around the country and our league tables show that the, once you hit about 50,000, the connection between size and efficiency is, is not there. Um, yeah. In fact, once you get over about qu quarter of a million, it actually we, it starts to turn into the super city, in that it becomes very corporatized and yeah. Yeah. Uh, more expensive per per capita. Yeah. John, thank you for joining Taxpayer Talk. I think it's really, really good to have these sorts of conversations with elected officials such as yourself. Uh, certainly, the success of our sister group, the Auckland Ratepayers Alliance, suggests that Aucklanders are really interested in these issues. And they certainly are when they get their um, get their astronomical rates bills every every three months. Um, keep up the good work and um, and look forward to continuing this conversation. Well, yeah, thanks very much, Jordan, and and thanks for encouraging that that debate because I think the worst thing can happen is that people just ex accept it as a fait accompli and say, well, this is this is the best we can we can have. No, it's not but it does need a more educated and a more active public to, to drive some of this change, both, both in Wellington and within the Auckland Council itself. Yeah, cheers, John.